0: So Colossians chapter 3, and this evening we're going to study uh, verses 1 through 11. The title of it is Set Your Mind on Christ. So as I said, I'm the high school pastor. Um, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, I'd love to meet you afterward. But um, we are currently going through the book of Colossians on Sunday mornings. And for me, it's just been a really rich study of um, yeah, if you've not studied the book of Colossians, it's it's deep, and he goes deep in it. So um, tonight we're going to, as I said, cover verses 1 through 11, um, but just to give a quick background of the book. So obviously this was a letter written by Paul to the church of Colossae. Um, this was not a church that Paul had planted himself. He'd actually never been there. Um, but we can kind of piece together why why was Paul writing this letter to the church there. Well, a man named Epaphras came to Paul. Paul was in prison in Rome and was just kind of telling Paul what the state of the Colossian church was. And it turns out that there was some false teaching that was taking place um, in Colossians. Uh, the church. And there were some false teachers they were spreading. We don't know exactly what. If you read it in commentaries, the, the commentaries basically say it's the Colossian heresy. So uh, we don't know what it was. Um, people say that it could have been Gnosticism, um, but we don't really know. But we can kind of deduce what they were saying. What they were saying is that Jesus isn't enough. Jesus isn't sufficient. Jesus isn't God. He's not enough to save you. He's not enough to make you holy. And so um, do you guys think that there's some problems with that? Like some major issues, right? And so Paul is writing and saying, no, Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough to save. And he's not just enough to save you in this life, but he's also enough to sanctify you. He's enough to make you Holy in the here and now. In fact, in chapter 2, verse 10, he says that you are complete in Christ. You're complete in Him. What does that mean? That means you don't need to go elsewhere. You don't need to go to any other person or any other thing to find fulfillment and satisfaction and peace and salvation and sanctification and holiness in this life. You're complete, You're, you're in need of nothing else. And so as we um, are just kind of trying to get some context of where we're at in Colossians, I taught this a few weeks ago, but in chapter 2, Paul began addressing some of the specific issues um, that these false teachers were bringing to the table, and one of them was the issue of legalism. And so they were saying things like, you need to abstain from certain foods, you need to be circumcised, you need to have these certain things in your life in order to be saved and in order to be made right. And in short, Paul basically says, no, <laughs> that's wrong. Like you're, you're doing it wrong. That's not, that's not the right way um, to go about doing this. In fact, at the end of chapter two, you guys can read it there with me. He says, These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self imposed religion, false humility, and neglect of the body, but they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And so, what does he say? He says, These things, they might seem wise. They might seem like they could make you holy, right? But he says they're actually of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. What does that mean? It's not doing what you want it to do, (laughs) right? It's not actually helping you against this fight and this struggle against sin. He doesn't say, so don't worry about sin. We're going to see in this chapter tonight. No, we need to be concerned about this. But he's saying, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. If you're trying to impose man-made regulations upon yourself to make yourself holy, that's not the right way to go about this. And so in this chapter, chapter 3, Paul's going to talk about the right way to go about this. How can you be made holy on a practical level? So you've come to Christ, you're walking with the Lord. We all struggle with sin. Um, how does this process of holiness unfold in the life of the believer? How, how can we make sure that we're walking in purity before the Lord? Because that's something that definitely the Lord is concerned about. And so as, we, as I'm reading this and talking through it, keep this in mind. This is the context. How are you made holy? And so verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, If you then were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul says, if you are raised with Christ, then seek those things which are above. He says, you've been raised. You've been raised with Christ. Um... A little bit more context, at the beginning of chapter 2, Paul tells them, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, but Christ has made us alive and he's forgiven us. And so we've been raised to newness of life, he says. We've been forgiven. Um, Our sins have been washed away and we have the hope of eternal life. And so Paul says here, if that's the case and if that's you, you've been raised to life, then um, there should be something else that's true of you. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. He says that our mind should be set upon the Lord. If you've been raised, if you've been brought into newness of life, you have the hope of eternal life. He says, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. Seek those things which are above. That, is, that means to, to look for, to search after, to put effort forth in, in searching out the things of the kingdom. And then in verse 2, he says to set your mind on things above. So not only are we to seek after them and putting effort forth in that way, but, but what we think about, what we're putting into our minds, he says set your mind on things above that, that Christ and where he is And the kingdom of God would be something that is continually being moulded over in our minds, that we would be setting our minds on righteousness and holiness and purity. This word, it literally means to to have this attitude or to think deeply about this, to, to ponder deeply that you would have a consistent attitude of thinking about the things of God. That you would have a consistent attitude that your mind and your affections and your love and your desire, everything about you would be set upon Jesus himself. Set upon um, the Lord. If you've been raised with Christ, Paul says. If you are a believer, if you have the hope of salvation and eternal life, then set your mind on things above. This should be the constant mode of our lives. And, you know, let's not forget the position that we have in Christ. Let's not forget um, that we've been raised. Let's not forget that we've been forgiven, and let's not be distracted by the things of the world. Let's not be um, distracted by the allure of sin. Let's not forget how good the Lord is to us. Let's not forget about the great salvation that the Lord has brought about in our life. And instead of our our heart and our mind and our affection being set upon the Lord. Sometimes it's set upon the things of the earth. It's set on my will or it's set on my own rights or my own wants. But Paul says, no, these are earthly things. That's not where your affection should be. Your affection needs to be where Christ is. Your thoughts need to be where Christ is. And I would just encourage us, let's continually take stock of our life, right? Let's continually think about where, where has my thought life been, Have I been pondering these things? Have I been thinking deeply about the kingdom of God? Have I been thinking deeply about Jesus? Have I been setting my affection upon the Lord, or am I distracted? Am I concerned with other things? Am I being satisfied with other things? Listen, go back to that place of just being satisfied with the Lord. Tonight, we had such a sweet time of worship, didn't we? Like, I don't know. There was something really special about that worship time of just Being in the presence of the Lord. And the truth of that song, Lord, I just wanna be here at your feet. I just wanna be here. I wanna worship you. I wanna give my heart to you. I wanna give all of my affection to you. Let's go back to that, that simple place of being at the feet of Jesus. He says, Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth, to not get distracted while we're here. This life is temporary. This earth is temporary. The Bible says that the things of the world are fading away, right? And so why would our affection be placed here? Let's place our affection upon the Lord. Because here's the thing, the more that I know of Christ and the more that I'm concerned with with what he's concerned with, the more that I'm setting my affection upon him, the less I'm going to be concerned about the things of the world, right? Right? The more that I'm satisfied with the Lord, the less satisfied that I'm going to be with the world. And so he says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Why? For you died, he says, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Everybody should stop right there and say, well, hold on a second. I thought that he just said that we were raised So why is he saying that we died? What what does this mean, right? Well, he's talking about who you were before you came to Christ. That person died. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself me. And when Paul says here that you died, he's talking about the old you. He's talking about the pre-Christ you. That person was nailed to the cross with Jesus and is dead. Isn't that an interesting thing? We talk so much about how Jesus died for me, and we're willing to proclaim this, and it's great, and I'm not speaking against it, but we talk a lot less about how when we come to Jesus, we go to him and we die. That person's dead. Who we once were before coming to Christ is no longer living. In fact, Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. They're dead. Now the New Testament tells us that, hey, we're we're new creations, right? We have been raised. Who we were before Christ is dead. We're a new creature um, in Christ. And this is why he says that you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. What's that? Your life is now completely wrapped up in the person of Jesus, that's where your identity is. Your identity is not in who you were or who you once thought you would be or in this world or anything else. You died. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, Megan and I, um, we often share with each other about who we were before we came to, to Christ. So we've known, only known each other as believers, and we both got saved in high school. And we often say things like, I'm glad I didn't know that person, <laughs> you know. I'm glad, I'm glad that person died because uh, we wouldn't have been nice to each other, I don't think, right? So that, that person's dead, and we should reckon ourselves, who we once were, as dead. I, I view my life like this. I have memories of growing up, but it's like a different life, Right? It's like a different life. That person is no more. That person is dead. And if who I am is dead, dead to the world, dead to sin, dead to who I once was, why would I get caught up in the things of the world? Why would I get caught up in sin? The natural outcome of my life is that I am completely Christ-focused. Why? Well, because we've been raised. We've been raised with him. We've been raised to eternal life. We've been raised to have life within this life. We have the opportunity to know and serve and have a deep personal relationship with the living God. And so why would I desire lesser things if that's the case? That's death. It's death. So he says, for you died. Your life is now hidden with Christ and God. My identity, who I am as a person, is only wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Paul says, Again, Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. That's where it has to be. It's all about Jesus. It's all about having that, that Christ-focused life. And when Christ, who is our life, verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When he appears, you'll appear with him as well. When Christ comes back, you're coming back with him. When Christ comes back glorious, you'll come back glorious with him. But notice what he says there. When Christ who is our life appears, Paul says Christ is our life. What's that? Christ should be the all-consuming passion of our life. He saved us. He's raised us. He's given us eternal hope. And Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, you're going to appear with him in glory. You know, we all, all often hear that phrase, what are you living for, right? And, you know, we can fill in a bunch of different things, like what, what we're living for. Some people are living for pleasure. Some people are living for fame. Some people are living for money or comfort, or you can fill in the blank. Other people will say things like, oh, yeah, music is my life, Like, what a sad existence that is, right? If music, it's just music. I mean, it's great. I love it. I'm a worship leader. I'm a music lover, but it's not my life, right? Or people will say, sports are my life. Really? To throw and catch that ball is your life? Like, that's not, I mean, it's fun. I'll throw and catch a ball all the time. It's great, but it shouldn't be your life. Paul says, Christ is our life. For the believer, it should be, I'm living for Jesus, I'm living for Jesus alone. He's my life. He's my everything. He's my life here and now. He's gonna be my life for all of eternity and I'm gonna appear with him in glory. And so what's the exhortation? Allow Jesus to be your everything. Allow him to be the the passion of your life that there would be no other thing that has your affection more than your affection for Jesus that everything that you are would be set upon who he is because, listen, the things of this world, they might satisfy for a little while. They might feel good for a little while, but they're always going to leave you dry. Jesus offers true satisfaction in this life. And again, Let's bring it back to the context. What is Paul talking about? What was he talking about previously in chapter two? Well, he was addressing that issue of legalism, right? He was addressing the issue of Christians who are trying to make themselves holy through man-made regulations. That The Lord didn't say to do this. It was man-made regulations. And Paul tells them, you're doing it wrong. You're not actually making yourself more holy. This has no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Do you know what has value against the indulgence of the flesh? set your mind on things above set your mind on Christ if you are raised with him seek those things that are above let your affections and your desire and everything that you are be set upon Jesus so you want to be holy we're Christians here we're believers i think that we all want to be holy right we want to forsake our sin we want to live a sanctified life we want to be made pure what's the takeaway Draw close to your Savior. That's the takeaway. Draw close to your Jesus. Get to know him more. Spend more time in the word. Spend more time in prayer. Spend more time really engaging in worship. Setting your affection upon him. Because here's the thing. The more that you know him, the less you'll sin. And the the closer that you are to him, the more that he's going to purify you. And the more that he's going to make you holy. Um... And so with that in mind, Paul goes on to discuss, so then there are certain things that shouldn't be involved in your life. There are certain sins that, that you need to be forsaking, right? You need to be putting these things off, but, but keep that in mind. When we think about putting off sin and walking in righteousness and holiness, these things cannot be separated from our knowledge of and closeness to Christ. Because I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough to, to overcome sin. But you know who is? My Savior who gives me strength to do so. And so when we think about I want to be holy, I want to be pure, I want to forsake sin, praise the Lord. I hope that we all desire that for our life. That cannot be separated from your closeness to the Lord. That cannot be separated from um, your knowledge of Christ. And if you think that you can do it in the strength of your flesh, Paul says, that's actually not a value. It's not a value. Verse 5, he says, therefore, with all of that in mind, if you are raised with Christ, set your mind on things of the, the Lord, see where he is, right? You've died. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you'll appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. Paul says, put to death your members which are here on the earth. So we were saved. We didn't automatically get our glorified body, right? We still have, we still have sin to deal with in the flesh, right? And Paul says, put it to death. Put that sin to death. That sin life that has been crucified with Christ already needs to be put to death on a practical level as you walk out your daily experience. Put it to death, he says, right? And so we still sin. The command, he says, is to put it to death. What's that? Get brutal. Don't don't coddle your sin. Um, Don't harbor your sin. Don't play with your sin. He says, kill it kill it, put it to death. And for some reason, I hear this sometimes from people, sometimes we have an issue with that. It's like, well, I don't want to get too radical, you know? Like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go too far. Like, I still need some time for me, don't I? You know, here's the thing. What's wrong with that? When we become Christians, it affects every area, every aspect of your life. There's no part of Christ that shouldn't touch every area of who you are. He should reach down into the the deepest depths of your heart and soul. There should be nothing that you're unwilling to, to allow him to purify. So Paul says, put it to death, get radical. Get radical. Being a Christian is a radical thing, being what the lord calls us to do to walk in is a radical thing if it's true that who you were before christ is dead then why would we want anything to do with those things that have brought about that death? Why would we want to walk in sin? And we sometimes take issue with being radical about sin, but Jesus didn't take issue about being radical when he went to the cross for your sin, right? Jesus didn't take issue about changing your life in a radical way so that way you could have the, the hope of eternal life and that you can be forgiven and saved for all of eternity. And so get radical. Don't, don't let that bother you. Paul says, put to death your members that are here on the earth. As you set your mind on Christ, as you put your affection toward him, as you are more and more heavenly minded, put to death the sinfulness that is in your life, Paul says. Put it to death. Don't play with it. Don't harbor it. Don't coddle it. Get brutal. And we all know what Jesus said. He said, if your right hand causes you to sin, you do what? Well, you chop it off. Your right eye causes you to sin, you gouge it out. You get brutal with it. Get brutal. In verse 5, he mentions a number of sins that we are to put to death. There he says, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. In the original language, each of these has to do actually with sexual immorality. Um, each of these has to do with, um, really, I'm not going to go through and define each one, but you can just know, what what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about anything, any sexual act that is outside of God's original design for sex, and, and that is between a husband and a wife, right? Um, the bottom line is that, as a Christian, we're, we're called to purity, and we're called to live a life of purity and holiness, and that we would put to death sexual immorality that's That's within our lives. Paul even says at the end of verse 5 that this is idolatry. It's something that that could become an idol in the life of a Christian and is certainly an idol in, in the world and in our culture. We see that all the time, right? But have you noticed that the Bible brings this up a lot? Like Paul is writing to Christians here, and he says, you need to put this to death. But I just did a quick, this is not exhaustive. This was just the ones that I could think of personally. How much the Bible brings this up? I didn't even touch the Old Testament. The New Testament. Check this out. Um, brings up the issue of uh, sexual immorality. Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, First Thessalonians, Revelation. Over and over and over and over. They say, "Be careful. Be careful. Don't get caught up in this." And it's almost as if the Lord knew that this was going to be an issue for us. Right, That this is going to be something that we would need to be told over and over and over. Put this to death. Don't walk in sexual immorality. Don't get caught up in that snare. It's going to be alluring. It's going to seem pleasurable. But don't get caught up in the lie. Put it to death. And we live in a culture that is obsessed um, with sex. We see it everywhere. Pornography. Uh, we see it in in. Uh, gender identity, a person's orientation, and truly this is a God um, to many people, but the Bible says that it's idolatry. It shouldn't be handled gently in your life. Put it to death. I wish that I could say as believers that we're immune from it, but we're not. We're not. Put it to death, Paul says. He was writing to Christians. He says, put this to death. And this is an area that we always need to guard against and that we need to be continually putting to death in our lives, keeping it in check. And especially in light of verses 6 and 7, he says that because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. He says it's because of these things, in part, that God's wrath has come upon um, the sons of disobedience, God's wrath, his vengeance upon sin, it says. And do you notice he, he draws a distinction here in verses 6 and 7 um, between the sons of disobedience and Christians, right? He says, you yourselves once walked like this when you lived in them. What's he saying? You used to live like this. This used to be the mode of your life. This used to be um, how you lived, but since coming to Christ, no more. This should not be um, any part of your life. Now, obviously, I don't think that Paul is saying that when a person becomes a Christian, they just com- you know automatically stop sinning in every single area. No, it's a process, right? He says, put it to death. But what I do think that he's saying is that God, when you be- come to him, he begins this process of refining you and making you pure and making you um, holy, sanctifying you by his Spirit, to help you sin less. But here's the thing. I don't think that it's possible for a person to be a Christian and to be okay with continually and habitually walking in sin with no remorse and no repentance. I don't think that's possible. Because when we come to the Lord, he gives us a spirit who convicts us. That's what used to mark our life but that person's dead. We've been crucified with Christ. There's been a radical shift um, in our life. And again, I'm not saying that we don't sin, but what I am saying is that when we're confronted with sin in our lives, there's a desire to put it to death. There is a, there's a desire there to put it to death because we've been raised with Christ. Who we were is dead. In verses eight and nine, Paul lists a few more sins of of which should have no part of our lives, he says, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. And so before he was talking about sexual immorality, the focus shifts here, right? Um, And these I would put in the category of our attitudes toward other people, right? He says, put off all of these. Put, Put off these attitudes towards other people that you might have. That word put off, it literally means that you would take off like, an article of clothing. So I have in mind a a person taking off just a filthy shirt. You know, it's getting hot. It's summertime. Have you guys been out in the yard lately, like, getting sweaty, and, like, I don't know what it, I'm from New Mexico, and this whole humidity thing, we've been here five years, and it's, like, still hard to get used to, right? Like, you walk outside, and you're like, oh, I just feel like I'm wearing the outside. Like, this is horrible. (laughs) Like, it's just awful, you know? Um, A few weeks ago, Megan and I were out in the yard just working and, you know, we have some ivy growing up the side of our house and we were chopping it down and I just go in and I'm just drenched and it's a filthy shirt and I, you know, I take it off and get cleaned up and put on new clothing and, you know, what would be weird is if after I'm all clean, I see that filthy shirt lying on the ground and I'm like, I'm going to put that back on. Like, nobody would do that, right? Be like, that's disgusting. Like, I don't even really want to pick it up to put it in the hamper. Like, it's just gross. Like, let's, let's just leave it there. We can maybe burn it or something later. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to touch it anymore. Like, nobody would do that. And so Paul says, listen, these attitudes, take them off. They're, they're a filthy garment. Take it off like you would take off that sweaty, nasty shirt after working um, in, in the yard all day long, right? It feels good to take those things off, doesn't it? It feels good to take off a shirt that's nasty, right? It feels good to put on a clean um, change of clothes. And Paul says, take it off. Put these off. Anger. Anger. Wrath. Malice. Malice. Blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and do not lie to one another. He says, Take off your anger and your wrath. Take off, take off your malice. What's that? That's, that's an attitude of wanting to seek vengeance upon a person, right? You know, Paul brought up sexual immorality, and this is something that's mentioned over and over in the Bible. And then he brings up this this list here in our attitudes towards each other. You can read it in numerous places in the Bible. Um, (laughs) Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor be done away from you, right? It's, It's over and over in the New Testament. We see it all the time. Do you think the Lord knew that we might be dealing with this with each other? I think so. Paul says, put away your anger. It's a nasty shirt. You don't want to wear it. But you know, sometimes it's easier to be angry at a person than it is to forgive them. Have you notice that? And sometimes it's easier to maybe like plot revenge in your heart for a person. Like, I can't believe that person at work did this to me. Like, this is what I'm going to do to them or this is what I'm going to say to them. It's easier to do that than it is to pray for them and to want to do good to them. It's a lot easier to sometimes tell a lie to make yourself look better than to tell the truth and to say, I've been struggling. It's easier to walk in these things, but Paul says, take it off. Don't let it have any part of your life. And again, think of the context. You've been raised. That person died. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. That's the context. Take it off. You shouldn't be defined and marked by your anger. You shouldn't be defined and marked by uh, the filthy language that comes out of your mouth. You shouldn't be defined and marked by your wrath and malice. That's the old life. That's the old man that was crucified. And so let's consider him or her and those deeds to be dead and done away with. Take him off. And listen, this is, this is applicable in every area. This is applicable in your home. This is, a, this is applicable in the way that you talk to your spouse. This is applicable in the way that that you interact with your kids. This is applicable with the way that you treat your coworkers. We should not be marked in any area of our life as angry, bitter, mean, trash-talking people. Take it off. And here's the thing. As we spend time in the presence of the Lord, as we seek His face and set our mind on things that are above, He begins to reveal to us... um, those attitudes and those actions that we know shouldn't be a part of our life. And listen, it's something that we still struggle with, right? I mean, just the other day, Megan told me, my wife, Megan, she's sitting right there, four rows back, right there, I love her. Um, <laughs> uh, something came up and I, like, I, I was just angry about it and she was like, Daniel, I, I've noticed lately that you've been really angry about that thing. And I just had to say, That's never a fun moment, right? (laughs) Like, you can respond one of two ways. It's like, you can respond in pride, or you can just take it and be like, okay, you're right. Thankfully, I I did the latter. I was like, you know what? You're right. I, I have been angry about that lately, and that's not right. Take it off. It's a filthy garment. It shouldn't be a part of your life anymore. That's the old life. That's the old man who's been crucified with Christ. Consider him to be dead, and instead of that, instead of walking in these attitudes, check out verse 10. Um, he says, he says, well, let's start in verse nine, and do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. He says, put on the new man. Put on the new man. What's that? Well, we were... We were killed at the cross, right? That, that person was crucified with Jesus. We've been raised up in newness of life, a new creature. I think 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, we're new creatures in Christ. He says, put that on. And so as you've been taking off your filthy clothing, right, you should put on nice new clean clothing, and that is the new man who was created in Christ Jesus in holiness and righteousness and purity. How do we do that? Day by day, every morning, like we, obviously we're all here and we're wearing clean clothes, right? Like we know how to put our clothes on. Well, how do we put on the new man? How do we put on the, the new right deeds? Take a look again at what he says in verse 10. We have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. The new man, the new creation created by Jesus is renewed, I would say, day by day in the knowledge of Christ. Day by day as we come to a fuller knowledge of Jesus and who He is. We are renewed in the knowledge according to the image of Him who created Him. We're not renewed by my own willpower. I'm not renewed because I'm strong in my flesh and I can make myself holy. I'm not strong enough. I'm not strong enough for that. And I'm not trying to be mean. You're not strong enough for that. How are we renewed? How can we put on the new man? We're renewed in the knowledge of him who created us. We're renewed by knowing the Lord. We're renewed by drawing close to our Savior We're renewed by spending time in the Word and allowing it to mold us and shape us and teach us. Uh, We're renewed by just fellowshipping with the Lord and spending time in His presence and seeking His face and praying. We're renewed by understanding His will for our life and walking in it. We're renewed when we worship Him. I don't know about you guys, I keep bringing this up, but that time of worship tonight was just so sweet. How many of you guys after that just felt encouraged in your walk with the Lord, like, yes, this is true, and these are things that I need to walk in? You're being renewed. Your, your new man is being renewed. And this is how these things take place, and it's, it can happen in a hundred different ways throughout the, throughout the day, but it's we're renewed as we know Christ more and more. As we walk with him, um, as we seek him, Says the new man, he's renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Whether where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all in all. What does that mean? It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter um, what propensities you might have. It doesn't matter um, what class or race distinction you have. Um, this new man is renewed in knowledge according to Christ. And it's all about Christ being our all in all, Christ being everything to us, Christ being the beginning um, and the end. And so, you know, is the Lord concerned about the way that you walk? Yeah. Is he concerned about your purity before him? He absolutely is. And I would say that there should be a difference in our life from when we first started walking with the Lord until now. We should be, be made more holy. But how does that change happen How do we put on the new man? How do we put off these sinful deeds, right? How does that, is it because I'm strong and I just made it happen? Is it because of the different works that I do? Um, That's what the Colossians were trying to do and Paul says, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You're not doing this right. I'm not strong enough to make myself holy. It has to be a work of the Lord as I draw in close, as I seek his face, as I understand his will as I read his word and apply it to my life, that's accomplished by his power in my life as I know him and I submit to him more and more. That's when that takes place. And and I'll just close here. If you're here and and you're hearing this and you're like, man, there's been a sin in my life that I just can't get over. Like, I'm not happy about it. I'm not comfortable with it. The spirit is convicting me about it. But for some reason, I just, I can't, I can't shake it. I just ask you, have you been drawing near? Have you been drawing in um, to the Lord? Would you say that this has been the mode of your life that you've been setting your mind and your affection and your heart upon Christ and where He is? And I would encourage you, let's let's pray together. Let's come up and you can talk to me or the pastors will be up. Let's pray. The Lord is concerned about holiness and purity in your life. He doesn't He doesn't want you to be walking in immorality. He doesn't want you to be walking in anger and clamor. He says, put these things off. But this can only be done, and that new man can only be renewed in the knowledge of him who created him. Let's know Christ more. Let's dive deeper into who he is and um, into his word because it, it it, it makes it a lot harder to walk in sin when we have that attitude. And when we have that mindset, right, it makes it a lot easier for us to put off sin when we're in that type of relationship with him. As you know, if you're here and maybe you're hearing this for the first time, you're an unbeliever, you, you don't you don't know the Lord, you've not walked with him, you've not given your life to him. Listen, you have the opportunity to know and trust and walk with the living God. The Bible says that before a person comes to Christ, they are dead in their trespasses and sins. It doesn't get much worse than that, right? If you're dead. But when you come to Christ, when when you look to the cross and you accept that sacrifice that he made for you and believe that he's been resurrected from the dead, what does the Bible say? You're raised up. You're raised up into newness of life and you have the hope of eternal life. And so I would hate for any person who doesn't know Christ to walk away from this evening without having put their faith and hope and trust in him because he is too good and this is too good of an opportunity for you to pass up. This is eternity we're talking about. Jesus did all the heavy lifting. He did all the heavy lifting. He went to the cross for your sins. Um, He was killed, he was buried, and he was resurrected. Why so that you could come to him and be forgiven of your sins and have the hope of eternal life. Come to the Lord um, tonight. So, Lord, we love you, and we're so thankful that we can call you our Father. We're so thankful that we can call you our our friend, even, Lord, and um, we're so thankful that we can walk with you and that we can know you, Lord. And I just pray for myself, and I pray for each and every one of us here, Lord, that we would be drawing in close. Lord, that we would be setting our mind and our affection, our desire upon you and you alone, Lord. And that we would seek you daily. And that as we do this, Lord, as we really draw in, as we're, we're, we're radical about this, Lord, I pray um, that you would sanctify. You'd sanctify us, Lord. You would, you would just do that, that work of making us holy and pure before you. And so, Lord, we thank you and we trust you and we know that that these things are your work, Lord. You are strong enough to save us and you are strong enough to sanctify us.